welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. My name is Todd McLaughlin, and I will be your host. If you would like to learn more about our upcoming live stream yoga classes, workshops, teacher trainings, and or our online yoga studio, please visit us at nativeyogacenter.com. Thank you. Sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Yoga is all about balance and finding balance in life. And that's why today I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to speak with Kate O'Donnell. Uh, Kate is an Ashtanga yoga teacher and also an Ayurvedic practitioner. She has authored several books um, of which I really encourage you to check out. Um, also, you can check her out online on our website, which is kateodonnell.yoga. And the spelling on that is K-A-T-E-O-D-O-N-N-E-L dot yoga, Y-O-G-A. And then also, those of you Instagram lovers out there, check out uh, her handle at kateodonnell dot ayurveda. And she has a host of online courses, Ayurvedic courses online, as well as book materials or books that she's written and also uh, cooking classes. So here we go. I'm excited for you to hear this because I feel like the knowledge that Ayurveda brings into the yoga world is uh, critical. And so let's get started. Welcome, Kate O'Donnell. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to have Kate O'Donnell here today. Kate, how are you doing? Doing good, Todd. It's nice to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, taking time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. I have had the pleasure of being uh, being able to practice with you, and you're an incredible yoga teacher and Ayurveda teacher. So I'm excited for our listeners to get a chance to, for those that don't know about Ayurveda, to learn something new. And for those that already are familiar with Ayurveda, maybe you can uh, give us some some new info. <laughs> some deep, some deep more. insights. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, I'm excited that you, you had told me that you have just finished uh, a, a new book. You already have two books. You have Everyday Ayurveda Cooking for a Calm, Clear Mind and the Everyday Ayurveda Cookbook. What is the title of your new book? The new book is The Everyday Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care. So I kind of, uh, the first two books I use cooking a lot as a way to get get people living the Ayurvedic lifestyle. But in addition to food stuff, there's actually all these other practices, daily routines and things that really support health throughout an annual cycle. So mm. I wanted to write more about that. That's what the new book is about. That's cool. How I'm always so impressed. I'm, I'm extremely impressed by your books in terms of the amount of content. And I've never written a book I've never tried. It seems like it'd be such a daunting task. Uh, how do you, what, what is your experience of, of putting a book together? What is it like? It's a lot of work. Definitely. I mean, I def, I sprout like a new patch of white hair every time <laughs> that I write a book, but it's, you know, there's, it's a creative endeavor for sure. It's a labor of love. It's like, I, um, I become, through my teaching, I become aware that there are aspects of traditional Ayurveda that like people need now, you know, they need mm -hmm. to know it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I have a way of expressing this stuff um, 
visually as well as with words that can like it just makes it approachable so that people can begin to wrap their head around aspects of this sort of epic science mm. that are helpful for them now. So it's like the process of writing these books is really about um, like deciding what needs to be in the book and, and what doesn't to keep it to like a digestible yeah. amount of information. And that is, that's, that's the part that is um, the most interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. I yeah. Bet. I bet. Um, if we have a listener who is completely unfamiliar with Ayurveda and what Ayurveda is, could you give us a uh, explanation? Yeah, definitely. It, so Ayurveda is it's a sister science of yoga. They sort of evolved along alongside each other historically. They're different systems, but they come from the same time frame, which is mm. you know two thousand or more years ago. And it's there are there are volumes of texts that have been codified that cover all sorts of things from prevention, which is a lot of what you hear about, like a healthy diet, you know, a healthy lifestyle, seasonal routines, and it goes all the way through to treatment programs for diseases. Nice. So it's a medical science in India. There's Ayurveda hospitals, and there's also Western hospitals. You know, the the two. Western medicine and Ayurveda can absolutely be complementary and work well together. That's but where okay. Ayurveda is so helpful now is that it's uh, it's like a it's like an observational science of understanding how we are being affected by our environment and our the food that we eat. Mm. Nice. And can you give us a little bit of insight into where and when or how you first got involved in getting excited about Ayurveda and then, and then your, your learning process to, to teaching and coaching people? Yeah. You know, I was in India when I was 19 and I got all, all these parasites. So it's wow. funny that you ask, Todd, like, wow. how did you get excited about Ayurveda? I'm like, well, <laughs> I got, <laughs> got kind of like pushed into it um, were, because were, I had were, this. Were you, were you in India when you sought out Ayurvedic treatment for parasites on that specific trip? Or was it that you went to India, came back home and then <laughs> met an Ayurvedic practitioner here in the States? No, it was all in India. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of my learning in the first, probably 10 years, I was spending a lot of time in Mysore studying Ashtanga yoga, and I was working with um, a doctor there. So that's how it all happened is because I was in Mysore. And when my intestinal situation kind of blew up. Yeah. And so I that's where I, I found um, a doctor there. And I, I was always interested in alternative medicines, you know, even from the time I was a teenager, I like mm. stopped eating meat when I was 16, you know, uh -huh. just, I've always been, been interested. So I ended up going through a purification process in the Ayurveda hospital in my store. It's, it's called a Panchakarma, mm. which is like, um, it's a, like a three or four week process where you undergo sort of rigorous treatments, a very simple diet. And you emerge with a different body than wow. the one you started with, you know. Wow. So it was, it was all to sort of address the digestion, digestional weakness that I had kind of always had. I think there's a, a congenital aspect in my family. Mm. So I was 
you know, what happened for me, Todd, was that I actually had a, like a spiritual awakening through the medicine where I, I had, uh, like a, a deeper understanding of the spirituality of my life and of my body and how, how everything was interconnected. You know, and it was all this like beam of light sort of like, you know, came to me at the, at the pinnacle of the purification process in the hospital, you know? Yeah. And it, you know, it lasted like a split second and then it was over, but it was like, I had seen that there was this way of understanding and this way of being in this world. And I was like, I want to know everything I can about this science because if that's possible here, like I'm in and I kind of never looked back and it's always been hand in hand with yoga for me because these two are philosophically quite similar. That's awesome. I mean, uh, I'm curious when you were on that trip to India and then you got um, initiated into the Panchakarma, is it something that you would stay at the retreat or hospital center for that time period and do all day long? Or was it that you were going and practicing in the morning yoga and then going back and then visiting the doctor in the afternoon? How, like how rigorous is is that treatment? I'm curious. Yeah, it's a good question. It's usually you are at a center, at a Panchakarma center, mm-hmm. um, which if people are interested, there's uh, a link to my favorite spot is in the back of all of my books. It's called Vaidyagrama. And that is a place where you go and you stay and you do not leave. <laughs> you know, you're there the uh-huh. whole month. Uh-huh. Um, but what was interesting about this doctor in Mysore was that he allowed me to still go to yoga in the morning. Nice. And then I would, and I had a flat, an apartment, um, like two blocks from the hospital. So he let me just stay there and I would uh, walk back and forth and go to the hospital twice a day for treatments and then stay at my house. And what was interesting about that was that I prepared my own food. Mm. So I ended up learning, like he, he gave me recipes that kind of taught me how to make what I was supposed to eat. And I think, you know, I think it's like auspicious that it happened that way because then I ended up writing a cookbook (laughs) later on, you know? Yeah. Good point. Out of the necessity, as opposed to just having someone do everything for you. And then you come out at the end, this way you were able to actually learn how to cook everything in that process. That's pretty amazing. Do you think that, like you had mentioned having, maybe coming from a constitution where you were sensitive, uh, intestinally sensitive, and then obviously India can can really pack a good punch for those of us that mm-hmm. aren't used to the food and stuff. Um, did w- Was it that they were having you cook some of the traditional meals but just reduce the amount of spices? Or like what do you think was that element that at that time for that, that experience helped your stomach or intestines feel better? Well, there's definitely an aspect, like when you look at the Ayurveda text in the earlier volumes, there's all this discussion about like what foods are good mm. for human beings, you know? And so the, the primary food that I was eating is called kitchari, mm. which is a combination of mung beans and, basmati rice with digestive spices Mm. so that was really all i ate so it wasn't like it was an elaborate thing i was Mm. basically making the same thing and eating it like several times a day right and the reason that those foods are used is because they allow the digestive system to heal itself and the spices Mm. kind of they help um enkindle the agni or the digestive fire 
And that's the, that is the element in the body that does the healing process. So that along with the other um, herbal medicines that were being administered to me through all sorts of different ways, whether it was topically or through the bum or through the mouth, it was mm, like a lot mm. of, of herbal medicine also gotcha. being used. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Did you, on that visit to India, did you, do you feel like you made a full recovery before traveling, uh, traveling back home? Or um, is it something that then when you got home, you had to continue to heal repair situation? I, I definitely had to continue. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was like the point of a, of a pancha karma or of any kind of intervention in Ayurveda is, is to change the trajectory of the imbalance. Mm. Like, so if there's a disease starting to happen, the idea mm. is that you, is that you, you know, you turn the wheel uh-huh. so that the, the body starts to go in a different direction instead of in the disease direction. So it was like that process turned the wheel, but then you have to keep like driving along that yep. path. That makes sense. As opposed to this idea that give me the magic pill, fix me up right. in one day. There's a lifestyle <laughs> change that's involved. <laughs> There absolutely is, you know, and it was what I learned there. And when I turned the wheel in that direction that and never looked back, you know, the this is the diet and the lifestyle that I have used for healing, you know, ever since Mm. I first started this, which was about 15 years ago. So that's, you know, the place from which I'm writing. And that's what all of these daily routines and foods and cooking and all that stuff is about, like learning how to live in such a way that the body doesn't um, the body has a resistance against the disease process as opposed to living a lifestyle or eating foods that support the disease process mm. that makes perfect sense right I guess easier said than done but it does sound <laughs> <laughs> it does make logical sense I when Tamara and I when we were in my store we went to an Ayurvedic uh, practitioner and um, they did a like consultation and I got information that I did not expect to get. I had mm. the person take my pulse and says, he said, you need to, um, you're doing too much yoga. You need to do less yoga. And I, at that time we were, we were in, you know, practicing daily and, and I was like, oh my gosh, that, that wasn't what I expected at all. I, I, maybe my, and I have a little bit of lower blood pressure. So perhaps they were detecting that maybe encouraging that I would bring that up through not relaxing too much. And uh, I definitely didn't associate really the Ashtanga practice as like a, just a relaxation thing. I felt like my heart rate was getting revved up. Um, Do you find that when you start working with people that often you give them information that they were not expecting either? Like, you know, like, is that common? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny, Todd, that you bring that up because when I talk with Ashtanga communities about Ayurveda, everyone is always like, I went to see this Ayurvedic doctor and he told me not to do Ashtanga. (laughs) 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 You know, so so people are, this happens a lot, actually, um, because, Uh, you know, Traditionally, exercise in Ayurveda is meant, one is meant to only work to 50% capacity. Mm. And uh, uh, exercise is defined as that which makes the body tired. Mm. So the idea is that, like, you want to work the body sort of homeopathically. You don't want to, like, push it 
to the point of depletion. And I think that, you know, when we're in, um, like those of us who are, you know, teachers in Ashtanga yoga and we go to Mysore and like, we like work super hard for a couple months, mm. you know, when we're with our teacher, we're like, you know, we're really, um, creaming it as you like to say, uh-huh. <laughs> we go cream it for a couple months, you know? <laughs> and so if a doctor like feels your pulse when you're in that state, he's going to be like, wow, this is unsustainable. Uh-huh. You know, like you don't work, you don't use yoga to like overdo yourself, yeah. you know, it's not, yep. it's not correct. And I think, yep. I think a lot of Americans, especially we think that like more is better mm. with whatever it is. That's a problem when people get Ayurvedic uh, advice because more is not always better. It's uh-huh. like, it's, a, it's about introducing the right amount of mm. something, whether it's a food or sleep or exercise. You know, so doing too much yoga would be like sleeping too much. Yep. You know, it causes an imbalance if you go over the edge with anything. That's a good point. That's a great point. I I, I would definitely attest to the fact that we were pretty gung-ho. Uh, I think that's the beauty <laughs> of getting a little bit older, too. It's almost like a little bit of age almost like forces you to figure these things out. <laughs> It does, it does. And it's a natural aspect of like the yoga path. And I think it's underrepresented, you know, and important that those of us who've been practicing for decades are, I think it's important for people to be able to hear you Mm. and I talk about, Mm. you know, how our practice has changed and how the body has changed and how we've evolved, you know, what the place is that yoga has in our health as we get older. I hear you, Kate. That's awesome. I, you know, I, you, you're in Maine now, so you're in the north. I, we have a really incredible thunderstorm going on here right now, so I don't know if you can hear <laughs> these blasts of thunder in the Ooh. background, but, um, wow. right? I know you're, you're up in Maine. What, what's the weather like up there? <laughs> it, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we live like uh, two miles from the ocean where nice. we're at. Nice. So it's, it's actually really moist, you know, but it's, um, it's quite, Chilly compared to Florida. Uh-huh. We, we yeah, we I've had to buy I bought a small hot tub actually. Nice. <laughs> After a year up there, yeah. Then yeah. I'll sit I'll sit in that a lot because I run cold. Uh-huh. So it's it's a force to reckon with, but it's also uh, like a very quiet place, you know, it's not super busy. Maine is once you get north of Portland, Maine, it just goes on forever all the way up to Canada. And it's really there's a lot of nature here. Nice. I have not been as far up. I have not been to Maine before, and I hear it's so beautiful. That's amazing. It is, yeah. Now, when you mention like I run cold, can you can you explain um, the doshas and how that in terms like when you say I run cold, that kind of made me think that we or you made mention that we might have a specific type of like way we run. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what the doshas are? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started.
So the, in Ayurveda, similar to Chinese medicine in the way that the building blocks of our bodies are, are the elements. So there's five elements that make up all prakriti, which mm-hmm. is all matter in the universe. So it's earth, water, fire, air, space. And everybody, based on your, your parents, body you know it's like your dna you get this makeup so if you had more earth you'd be heavy mm-hmm. if you had more air you'd be light you know like your your skeleton would be finer and lighter and you would weigh less mm-hmm. and you, you need to eat more you know uh-huh. and then people who have more fire they're going to run hot people who have more water they're going to be like moisture they don't have to worry so much about like getting enough fats and mm-hmm. drinking water and that kind of stuff so the doshas are just combinations of these elements. Mm. So when these these elements and their and their qualities, you know, when they make up a human body, they compound into these pairs that, that do specific jobs. Mm. So like your space and your air elements, that's that's everything cold and light and mobile in the body. Gotcha. And it's like the air is moving in these patterns through our bodies, and we call that vata. And vata means that which moves. Mm. So people may have heard of Vata dosha, you know, and it's the cold and mobile dosha. Mm. But somebody's born with more air elements in mm-hmm. their constitution, they'll be contending with the qualities of Vata mm. more often. Like gotcha. that's me with the hot tub, you know. That makes sense. Have more air, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. If people have more fire, fire and water compounds to make pitta dosha, which does it's like fire water is like acid mm. you know so it's a it's a hotter um more oily and acidic constitution so those people tend to run hot they tend to digest like a champ you know they can like eat a lot of food and um and they're generally very like focused um and intense right. individuals they, yeah. they tend to like ashtanga yoga <laughs> is it you find it's it like, there, you find there's a predominant uh, predominant um there's more people that are of that type that are attracted to it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah interesting. definitely because it's an intense practice uh-huh but then you know, the, so they, the excess of heat then might not be so good for already a hot nature it's it's something that needs to be contended with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, it's like, it doesn't mean you can't do the practice, but it means you, you do the practice knowing that you got to check yourself uh-huh. before you wreck yourself as uh-huh. far as the fire goes. And there are definitely things we can do, you know, yep. about yep. that. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Then you, you get your kappa types who are the, the earth and water constitution and they're heavier and more dense mm. and cool. Ashtanga yoga is perfect for them because mm. that body type actually needs more vigorous exercise in order to stay healthy. The tendency is for things to kind of slow down for them. So they, they need a lighter diet and they need exercise. But, you know, they might not gravitate towards it because the tendency is to be a little, a little slower and heavier. Gotcha. That makes sense. So we tend to, we tend to gravitate towards what's familiar to us. Mm. Where that may not always be helpful to go for more of the same. So the principle in Ayurveda for balancing one's dosha is to introduce opposite qualities to mm. the dosha that is most prevalent in your body. That's amazing. And so the the <clears throat> recipes that you have that you put together in your books are 
then if if what would be an example if I'm uh, of the more fiery type, then then the foods I'd try to eat are cooling. So I guess the first thing right. I, I think I've come across is that cucumbers. <laughs> that- yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you might have like, um, like foods that are notoriously cooling are, you know, cucumbers and fennel mm. and whole grains, zucchinis, melons, you know, so I might, I might recommend that you like eat a bunch of watermelon mm-hmm. when it's hot out to cool, cool yourself down or, you know, uh, make this, zucchini soup recipe and a cucumber salad and yogurt and you know there there's ways to combine all of these foods that will have these um, balancing effects on your constitution i might say hey like eat a bunch of coconut and cook with coconut oil Uh instead of olive oil in the summer when it's hot because coconut oil is cool and olive oil is warm that makes total sense. That makes me think like if you if you have someone who um, comes to you to seek out advice and they are eating lots of junk food and like even just the different the difference between say you advising to use coconut oil versus a different type of oil and someone's not even cooking period and that uh, how do you do you, I'm sure you must come across that sometimes. What is, what's a technique that you might use to help somebody who feels like they're just far from this realm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, I know it's very well, person specific, but are there certain things that you might address at that phase of the game? Well, yeah. And that's why I wrote this first, cookbook Mm. the everyday ayurveda cookbook is because if we're going to use food as medicine and people are disconnected from their food we Mm. have a problem yeah you know and i I, and i that was what i was seeing because i started practicing um in boston where a lot of downtown boston where a lot of people don't even have a kitchen you know they just they don't cook at all and i mean one of the things i would do is people who travel for work and that sort of thing is um is I would help them find restaurants and menu items and things that were balancing for them. Mm. You know, like that's, that's a, definitely a starting place. Yeah, that and makes then, sense. then I was, I would, um, you know, I made this cookbook because I wanted recipes that were simple for people to do. Mm-hmm. So I started creating all these recipes that were like, you know, you can make a meal in 20 minutes. It's not scary. There's not a lot of ingredients and you can just kind of like do it. And then it grew into the book. And the reason it all happened was because that's what people needed. Uh And it's like, you know, I can't say like, well, if you don't cook, then, you know, let's do this instead. It's like, no, I'm sorry. Like you have to prepare some of your own food. It doesn't have to be all the time, but it's definitely people need to take an interest in, in the medicinal qualities of food that makes sense i i um we have uh both of your books here for sale at our studio and so some of the studios have i'm sorry students have been using it and i've been getting great feedback from people that are actually using the recipes making the food and and eating it and a couple things that they have mentioned is how how much they're saying that it's easy to do it's not like really time consuming and Mm -hmm. and how much they really enjoy it so i have noticed people coming back in and and giving rave reviews which is really cool 
<laughs> so good job. That's, yeah. yeah, thank you. It's great to hear. I mean, I right? hear it all the time. I, I must toot my own horn there and say that like I absolutely <laughs> killed it when I wrote those cookbooks. <laughs> right? That's awesome. I hear you. Um, and that, <laughs> and I have these two books here. And so someone came in the other day and they said, well, which one should I get? And I actually mm. didn't know the best answer for him because I said, why, well, I know that in the beginning of the books, there's the information that kind of, if you don't know what Ayurveda is, it'll help you to at least get an understanding. So both of the books would give you that kind of intro. Um, but I, I didn't have a really good answer for them. Uh, so I'm glad that you actually, that, that helps me now in future too, to kind of steer people if they're interested. I'm curious if, if, um, is Ayurveda thinking along the lines that if you're born with this specific type or um, constitution, are there people that are like attempting to completely reverse their constitution? Or is it something that you just kind of come to terms with and appreciate and then just keep figuring that you'll, it's a lifelong process that you'll keep working with? Definitely the second thing there that uh-huh. you said. I mean, you, you know, knowing, knowing what your constitution is because once you get your DNA, like it doesn't change, you know? So knowing, knowing what the tendencies of your body are to be hot or cold or moist or dry, then you can work with that, you know, and you can make smart choices that are going to help your, help your body. Like what I like to say is that, you know, you can row your boat along with the current of the stream Mm. or you can be rowing backwards. You know, and it's just, <laughs> it's like a longevity thing. You know, if you're rowing your boat with the stream, you're going to have more energy. You're going to live longer. You're going to live better. That makes perfect sense. I, when I got a chance to take one of your classes, um, you had made mention about the, the rhythms in terms of the times of the day, which I thought was really fascinating. Even getting into the times of like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., and what's beneficial yeah. to do between four. Can you give a little bit of insight into the the wisdom behind that? Well, that, that also has to do with the doshas, actually. I mean, because of the movements of the sun, mm. the planet is it's warmer and cooler and drier and more moist at different times of day. So the doshas become active in our bodies. Mm. Uh, so at certain times of day, there's more fire. So the digestion is, is better. At, and that would be the time to eat more food. And that's at the midday, like when the sun is at its zenith. So one of these routines you hear about a lot in the Ayurvedic lifestyle is eating lunch. Like not skipping lunch, but having, you know, a solid meal at midday, which a lot of people tend to eat their biggest meal at night. Yeah. And nighttime is actually when your body is preparing for detoxification mm. while you're sleeping. So we have this you know, general ideal to eat a bigger meal at midday and a lighter meal at night. And that then it's like all your digestive organs, you're rowing your boat along with the stream Mm. of what your body is like naturally hardwired to do at, at, during the course of a 24 hour cycle. That makes sense. Can you yeah, talk, can you so, talk a little bit about the the early morning? Because I feel like a lot of people are like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right, right, yeah. What where does you it keep what? where does it keep going from there? <laughs> so you're so you you have your light dinner, right? You go to bed, and your digestive organs are um, they clean themselves, mm. <laughs> right? 
And that's why you kind of have to poop when you, hopefully, when you get up in the morning, you poop and you pee and you, you scrape your tongue in, in the Ayurvedic ideal. And it's the early morning is, is considered a vata time of day. And it's, um, vata is very subtle. Mm. It's like you're most connected to the energy world at that time. And so traditionally, two hours before the sunrise is considered Brahma Mahorta, which is God's time. It's like God's hour. So it's mm. the time that, um, the best time for spiritual practice, actually. And nice. yeah, and so, and then a lot of um, the yoga people, you know, we start doing the yoga as the sun's rising. And that's um, building our, our fire, building our agni. Mm. And um, like, it's like we begin to, it cleanses the digestive organs further. And they're sort of like ripe for detoxification in the early morning. Mm. So when we do yoga practices in the early morning, like pranayama and asanas and stuff, it's, it's like a further purification and circulation in the body. And that's all like, it's natural to do that in the morning, mm. not so much at night. Like at night you're like full of food <laughs> and you're tired, you know, and it's like time to go to bed. So like the morning practice, which is it's baked into the Ashtanga method, you know, mm-hmm. to practice in, in the, at the sunrise or thereabouts, you know, and it's because of the detoxification that happens as well as there's a spiritual element to it of, um, of being able to connect to the subtle energy of breath and movement and prana. It's easier during during those early morning hours. That makes sense. That's awesome. Do you do you feel like your how has your practice evolved um, with you blending your love and passion or study and practice of Ayurveda in with your passion for practicing the yoga aspect? Can you give us a little bit of idea of how? how you have, how it has evolved for you? I can definitely say that the, the Ayurvedic schedule that we were just talking about mm. and the food was, was really helpful in supporting my yoga mm. because so much of um, the practice in the first decade or so really is about purification. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, you know, I was, I was rowing my boat along with the stream by practicing at the correct time of day, you know, and, and I learned to eat my main meal at midday. And, you know, you, when you do yoga early in the morning, you go to bed earlier and you uh-huh. eat less at night and like all that stuff was like going hand in hand. So the, the sort of daily rhythms I learned through Ayurveda were natural with my practice. So everything was working together in that way. But when I started learning about that, principle of you know working the body to half capacity um i i realized that i i did work too hard Mm. in the beginning you know and and i think that i learned a lot of moderation um and how to look at the yoga practice as part of the whole Mm. of my life you know and like how does the yoga affect my sleep my digestion and vice versa and it's like the thing that I love about Ayurveda is that the, the human anatomy and physiology that you learn when you study Ayurveda is the same that underpins the yoga practice. Mm. 
Whereas I think a lot of the time when we learn yoga in the West, we learn about it from a Western anatomical lens. Mm. Like you learn about muscles and tendons, you know, and where your organs are and all that stuff. But when I studied Ayurveda, I started learning about like prana mm. and how it circulates, you know, and, and how the breath is, uh, affects the fire element and how that can improve our digestion and our immunity and all this stuff. And, it was like all the things that we do in yoga. It's like now I know why we do that. Mm, that makes everything sense. That's cool. starts to make sense. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then I can make like really wise choices about my practice, yeah. like yeah. what series I'm going to do today, or like how hard I'm going to work, and it it just all came together in this way that was so informative, you know, and so helpful, and really made it made the yoga like a uh, part of my life, you know, my, my day-to-day life. That's amazing, Kate. That's cool. I, I, um, first when started learning about the Ashtanga kind of was, I had this, um, got impressed upon me that you're supposed to breathe really strong and with sound. And when I had the, um, privilege or the, the pleasure of being able to practice, uh, next to you one time when you were here, I noticed that you were breathing really subtly and mm. not with a lot of like ferocious ver- uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, right. sound quality and which made me almost like more attentive to my own breathing. And um, can you speak a little bit about your, your, the evolution of your experience with breath in the practice and then maybe in relation to, to the fire element? Yeah, the, it's funny that you say that about, um, well, I, most of the things that I've learned, the really important lessons I've learned through practicing next to someone, mm. you know, and mm. it's like through the, the osmosis, you know, you learn something really cool. So I, I think in the beginning, we come to it often like a little more dense, you know, mm-hmm. and so we need that breath to help us pay attention, you know, and to help us like strengthen the body. Yeah, And the breath is, is like a bellows, you know, those old school tools that live next to the fireplace, yep. you know, and you like pump the bellows and you, and it blows air on the fire and the bellows are this tool that is very rhythmic, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like when, if you blow on the fire erratically, you're not going to get a good fire. Mm. It's going to be like, you know, too strong and then too soft and then it goes out and what you want are these like, like glowing embers, you know, and that's the energy of uh, health in the body. It's like our luster, mm. our immune system and our digestive capacity and our, our metabolism is, is like that glow of the fire. Mm. So how from the Ayurvedic and, and yogic perspective, how we breathe the rhythm and the strength of the breath is essentially governing mm. the fire that we're building when we practice. Yes. So in the beginning, it's like, yeah, we like, we get that fire going, (laughs) you know, we soak that thing. (laughs) And then (laughs) after like five or 10 years of practice, like for me, it was like, I was going crazy because this fire was like burning, Uh you know, in me. And, you know, people might notice their appetite increases when they practice and that's correct. You know, you might need, you actually need more food to feed that fire and keep it going. And as I progressed, it, it became necessary for me to become more subtle and actually like um, like 
stop blowing the bellows so strongly mm-hmm. be- because I do have this vata constitution mm-hmm. that has a tendency towards too much air anyway. Mm. And so I was learning that about myself and realized that actually it's like I need a mini bellows, mm. <laughs> you know, like a little cake size one that goes and, and creates yeah. a steady <laughs> and more subtle effect on the flame that is very sustainable. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I really, um, I, I, I noticed it and I started feeling like maybe, maybe I want to chill out a little bit and, um, I'm finding that's a really nice technique to just be yeah. a, little, a little bit softer with the breath. <laughs> yeah. And I see, it's just, again, it's one of those things, Todd, like after a decade of practice you don't, you know, we don't need to uh-huh. blow it like that anymore. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that work has been done. You know, and uh-huh. now the the winds in our bodies have become more subtle. Like it's it's supposed to happen that way, you know. And then it becomes like um, I think the breath almost becomes a whisper in the end. You know, after like mm. thirty years of practice, uh-huh. that's what I'm looking looking forward to. That's cool. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Kate, I, I'm, I, I feel like I, I have more questions. And at the same time, I know that I have a, a window here of opportunity to, to get a chance to chat. And I, I, I want to take a little more time just to just say thank you and, and, and how much I appreciate. And I, I know that last time that you came down, it was right at the cusp of the pandemic. So it was an interesting time where we were all kind of going, what's about ready to happen and what's going on. And, um, and so I really look forward to the day that we can travel again or where you can come visit us again and, uh, and try it. again. So I really hope that we can, <laughs> we can have you back and things normalize. But can you um, give a little bit of insight if people are interested in studying and practicing with you, being the fact that, we, that you have switched or have made a, a strong move in the direction of being online? How can people... Um, practice and study more if they would like to. Yeah, I actually just launched a, an online course called Intro to Ayurveda uh, that does talk more about the doshas and about the daily rhythms that we were talking about today. It's kind of perfect if people want to learn more. Yeah. Um, and that the website where all my online courses and cooking classes are is um, ayurvedicliving.institute. Okay. So it's like the more that um, that people in your community do that stuff now, like the deeper we can go when I get to come down there in person. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> Definitely. I love coming to Florida where I don't have to sit in the hot tub all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, we, we definitely got that heat thing going here for sure right now. <laughs> We're in the thick of it. Um Oh, that's awesome, Kate. Well, I really do appreciate you taking the time. And it's been, I feel like our, um, the opportunities that we've had to have you here and our students get a chance to connect with you has, has made our community a little stronger and, and well-balanced. So um, thank you so much again for, for joining me and joining us. And I really look forward to, to continuing to hang out and hopefully we can have a little chat in the future. Please offer my best to Rich and tell him that we said hello and, um, and, and we wish you wish you a lot of good vibes yeah it was great to talk with you and i'll hope to, to see you all in person again sooner than later that's right thank you kate yeah all right bye todd bye have a wonderful day take care you too all right thanks
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Native Yoga Toddcast. We really appreciate it and we hope you enjoyed. Remember that if you'd like to learn more about upcoming classes, workshops, teacher trainings, and our online yoga studio, all of which you can access at nativeyogacenter.com, your support is greatly appreciated. Have a wonderful day.